French are glad to die for love. They delight in fighting duels. But I prefer a man who lives and gives expensive jewels. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may be grand, but won't pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. Square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of True Stories of Tinseltown. And this is our summer of blonde bombshells, history of. And I'm here once again with the lovely and ever knowledgeable April Vivier. Thanks, April, for being here with me. I have had so much fun doing this with you this summer. Thanks, Grace. So have I. It's really been a highlight. It has been very fun. And um, why don't you tell everybody who we're doing today, like the bombshell a la Blonde Bombshells. (laughs) We are doing Marilyn Monroe, and I think this one's probably going to be like a three-part episode. Definitely. not. It's not, you know, she didn't live a long life, but she had some life, and of course her death, and she was probably the most popular bombshell of them all, right? You know, I I would say that that, maybe not the most popular at the time, because they were all pretty popular in their heydays, but she's definitely the most popular today. Yeah. And how many books do you think have been written about Marilyn? Oh, oh goodness. The last time I know that there was like kind of an official, uh, you know, count was in like 2011 and there were 1,200. So it's probably at about 1,600 now. And you, my dear, wrote a book about Marilyn and I went to look for it. Is it going to, are you going to have that re-released? Yeah, that that's the plan. After my computer mishap, though, that got placed on hold. I know, that was heartbreaking. I'm, we were not going to tell you, but it is a holy heartbreak. Um, what was the name of the book for people who um, will be looking for it? Maybe some people have it because people collect all the books, right? That's pretty much hey. collectors get them all. They they do. I know quite a few who have every single book of Marilyn that has ever been printed. Um, my book is called Marilyn Monroe, Day in the Life. It's just like a timeline biography. It's not written in traditional biographical format, but it's good if you need to know like where she was or something. Yes. And you also did a wonderful one. Can people still get your Jane um, part one, Publicity? Is that still they out can. there? That is still out there. Um, what I'm going to do is because we did a really thorough um, Jane one that um, it would be a waste for us to just do another one. So after I post the Marilyn, I'm going to post Jane Mansfield because I thought that was a really good show and it was, and we got a lot of um, good reviews on that one. So I'm going to post that after Marilyn and you can see where you can get April's book, beautiful pictures, puff blicity. I love it. And um it is a good book. So, but today I am 
digressing, we are talking about the lovely Marilyn Monroe. So why don't you start us off at the beginning? So let's see. There's a we're at, uh, If I can get this, that would be great. I can't even freaking talk. All right. So Marilyn was born on June 1st, 1926 at 930 in the morning in the charity ward of the Los Angeles General Hospital. Her mother was Gladys Pearl Monroe, although at that point her last name would have been Mortensen. However, Gladys's second husband um, was not actually the father of Norma Jean. This is Mortensen was not the father. Mortensen was not the father. They had married back in 1924, but they separated only a couple months, you know, after they were married. And he had been out of, you know, Gladys's life for, you know, over a year at that point. So the most likely suspect for Norma Jean's father is a man, um, Named Stanley Gifford. Um, Stanley Gifford had been Gladys's boss when she was a film cutter, and it, it was considered pretty well known that they had been sleeping together. But you know, there are people who also disagree with that. Regardless, the main thing that listeners need to know is that Norma Jean was basically born a bastard to Gladys. Yeah, and and basically. As I'm reading uh, info about her, and I'm reading Goddess, which I think is a really good book, um, that and he he double checked sources. He did some good stuff. So he said Marilyn would say at times she knew who her father was, but then people really think she didn't know who her father was. Do you think she ever really knew who her father was? She claimed that she did get the name Stanley Gifford from Grace McGee. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really see a reason to doubt that. Yeah. Uh, I think she probably thought that Stanley was her father, but that doesn't, you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, Gladys was really sleeping around quite a bit and there's no way of knowing. So... I guess that the main thing is there's no real way of knowing. Did Norma Jean have any siblings? She did. She had a brother and sister. Her brother, Robert, was born first. He had been born in 1917, so he would have been nine years older than Norma Jean. And then she had a sister, Bernice, born in 1919, and Bernice is still alive. Oh, Um, wow. She's 100 years old. She is. She's 100 years old, and she lives with her daughter, Mona Ray. Um, unfortunately, Robert died in 1933. He would have only been 15 years old. Yeah. Um, he had had a life that was plagued with a lot of weird accidents. Now there would probably be somebody from CPS examining all of these accidents. But long story short, Robert was diagnosed with tuberculosis of the bone and his dad, John Baker, took him out of the hospital and inserted a catheter into Robert. Robert got an infection and died. By himself? Did the doctor say, Mr. John... He just did it on his own, like he's some Mr. Perry, uh, Dr. Kildare or something. Robert had had one in the hospital, and John was just, John took him out of the hospital, and he was like, I can put in my son's own catheter. And um, yeah, Robert ended up, his infection from tuberculosis of the bone spread, but I'm sure, you know, being 
catheterized by your father didn't help and he he passed away relatively young he had also had an accident with a firework and he was missing his right eye and there had been a few other accidents over the years ouch yeah he he had a very tough life how many times had um gladys been married before norma jean was born she had been married twice. The first was to John Baker, and then the second was to Martin Edward Mortensen. And she had left him a year before Marilyn was born. Yeah, she'd probably left him about like a year and a half before Marilyn was born, yeah. Mm-hmm. About a year before she became pregnant. Um, I can't believe Marilyn's sister's still alive. Did she ever talk about her sister? She did. She actually wrote a book called My Sister Marilyn, and she details their relationship and their life growing up. Um, Marilyn did have contact with Bernice up until she passed away. Bernice helped plan her funeral and, you know, everything like that. But they really didn't see each other a whole lot. Yeah, I'm sure. But I, I didn't know that. I didn't know she had a sister. So you just told me something new. Thank you, Miss VVA. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Um, only 10 days after Norma Jean was born, she and Gladys went to live with Ida and Wayne Bolander. Um, the Bolanders were Gladys's mom's neighbors. Gladys's mom's name was Della. And they were, you know, pretty religious. They took in foster, they weren't really foster children, but they would take in, you know, people's children and they basically ran their own foster care system within their own home. Mm-hmm. Um, this was obviously, you know, right before the Depression hit. And then once the Depression hit, they really started taking in children. Um, but, you know, it, it was kind of idyllic. I, you know, Gladys agreed to pay them every week for Norma Jean's care. And, yeah, so, you know, that, that was their situation, I guess you could say. Um, unfortunately, in 1927, Della broke into the Bolander's home, which would lead her to be arrested. This was in... Uh, probably late July, early August, and she attempted to smother Norma Jean with a pillow. Who Norma did this? Della, Gladys's mother. Oh my God! Um, that sounds so, so. You know that happened to Clara Bow too. Oh my it, God! Yeah, no, that that apparently was a common thing. You know, Clara woke up with her mom standing over her with a knife, and she had insomnia for the rest of her life. Um, Norma Jean would claim that she could actually remember the incident, which is, you know, pretty unlikely because she would have only been about 14 months old. Yeah. But regardless, Della was arrested, and only a few weeks later, she passed away from a heart attack in Norwalk State Hospital. How old was she? She would have been, like, mid-50-ish at that point. She she had her kids pretty young, so probably about like 55-ish. So she wasn't she also sort of a religious fanatic um, Christian scientist? Yeah, Della was a Christian scientist, and then of course Gladys was a Christian scientist, um, and then Marilyn would partially be brought up as a Christian scientist. Interestingly, though, the Bolanders were not Christian scientists. They were evangelicals, and they had actually had uh, Norma Jean baptized in the temple of Amy Simple McPherson. Wow, how cool. 
Yeah, I know. One thought me something to brag about. Yes, this, this deranged woman, woman, pony. Sure, I'd love it. Yeah, no. So, Norma Norm, Norm had a pretty idyllic life with the Bolenders. They could be strict. They weren't a rich family, but, you know, they did well for themselves. I would say they were probably lower middle class. Mm-hmm. But she always had food on the table. She always had clothes. You know, they, they made sure to really care for all of the children under their care. And finally, in 1933, Gladys decides that she can finally take care of Norma Jean. Norma Jean would have only been a couple weeks before her seventh birthday when Gladys took her, and they moved into an apartment on Afton Place. Um, unfortunately, well... I'm getting ahead of myself. Gladys then put down a $750 down payment on a house, which, of course, that would have been pretty good money for 1933. And the house was located on 6812 Arbel Street, which was actually like a relatively nice area in Los Angeles. Gladys made sure that the house had four bedrooms because she eventually planned to get Robert and Bernice back. Um... So, obviously, she did not get Robert and Bernice back. In fact, when she found out that Robert had died, she started screaming at Norma Jean saying, why couldn't it have been you? Oh, my God. Um, This set off Gladys' mental health to go kind of down the toilet, just to put it in a nice way, I guess you could say. Um, and on January 15th, 1934, Gladys was admitted to the Los Angeles County General Hospital psych ward because she was found laughing and crying hysterically beneath the stairs of their house. Um, she was declared insane. And interestingly, Gladys had rented out rooms to people, including the Atkinsons and a man named Mr. Kimball. Now, unfortunately, Norma Jean would claim later in life that Mr. Kimball had molested her. And when apparently when she had told Gladys, Gladys slapped her and said to stop telling lies. Because he was her her star boarder, right? Yeah. Um, There are... uh, Theories that it actually wasn't Mr. Kimball, that it was um, actually Mr. Atkinson, but there's really nothing to support that. Um, but, you know, Grace obviously shortly afterwards was admitted to the mental hospital, and Norma Jean continued to live with the Atkinsons in the Arbel Drive house. How old was Marilyn when her mother was committed? She would have been seven. Mm. Um. So this, of course, sets off a chain of different living situations for Norma Jean. Um, The Atkinsons were pretty neglectful. Marilyn would recall that she would play, like, on the side of the road with empty beer bottles. Oh, brother. (laughs) Poor kid. And, yeah, considering that Arvel Drive was... A pretty, you know, nice area. That was really abnormal behavior to see. So then in the fall of 1934, Grace McGee, who would end up becoming Norma Jean's guardian, takes her out of the Atkinson's house because she's, you know, like, wow, you know, Norma Jean's playing with cigarette butts and, you know, empty beer bottles on the side of the road. (laughs) 
Exactly one year after she was committed, Gladys was declared insane. This is really going to mark where Norma Jean stops seeing Gladys. She'll see her very sporadically for the rest of her life, but, you know, not not very much. And after she becomes famous, she doesn't see Gladys at all. Was Gladys uh, all the time in a mental institution while she was um, famous and alive? Uh, yeah, well, she was in the, well, um, Norma Jean was famous. Gladys was pretty much consistently in the mental hospital. She was let out for a short time in the late 40s. And actually, Bernice came out and she saw her mother for the first time in a number of years. And Norma Jean was there too, but... Gladys would slip in and out. She did escape for a short time in the 1950s, and she got married, and then she was sent back. I I don't know. Very complicated life. Um, There was also supposedly a letter that she sent Norma Jean, who at that point was Marilyn, that contained razor blades. Gladys just had a very difficult life. Yeah. Um, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1935 that, even though, you know, most of their stuff was pretty primitive when it came to mental health diagnosis and what we would consider it now, she probably did have schizophrenia. Um, but you know, Grace really stepped in. She took Norma Jean in 1935. She was made the guardian of Gladys's estate as well as, you know, a temporary guardian to take care of little Norma Jean. Um, Contrary to what Marilyn would later claim, she wasn't thrown in, you know, 20 foster care homes. She did always live with people who were either her family or Grace or Grace's family and friends. So they were always people that were known to her, even if she didn't particularly care for them, but she never had to go with, you know, a stranger. I read, is is there any truth? Because she said, or what I read was she was in an orphan's home for a year. She she was. Um, What ended up happening was later in 1935, uh, Grace married a man named Doc Goddard, who had three children. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting side note, one of those children, her name was Nona Goddard. She would actually end up becoming... Judy Lawrence, who was a relatively successful actress in like the late 40s and early 50s, she co-starred with Burt Lancaster and she did pretty well for herself. And then she retired in 1962 from acting. But Grace married Doc. And then only about a month later, Norma Jean is placed into the Los Angeles County Orphanage. So this would have been September of 1935. Um, Contrary to what has been written, though, Grace did not put her there just to put her there. Grace actually was required by California law um, to have Norma Jean live in the orphanage for at least a year until Grace could be declared her legal guardian. And this would have allowed, you know, family members to step forward who wanted to adopt the little girl. Obviously, that didn't happen. But it, it was kind of, you know, like a... We need to do this as a precursor to you getting guardianship. But that that was required. Um, Norma Jean probably did not know this, and reportedly she was pretty sore at Grace for a number of years for doing that. 
How but, old is she? You, know, you can't really understand that when you're a child and, and, and get you the full gist when you're, you're and, No, no, you can't. And Norma Jean would have been nine when this happened. Yeah. When this happened. You just wouldn't have that understanding that this person isn't just saying, okay, here you go. I don't want to see you anymore. Scram kid. You know, she wouldn't know. Exactly. Um, she had, she apparently developed a stutter while she was in the orphanage. She didn't have the best time in the orphanage. Um, and interestingly, Grace wrote a letter to the orphanage director, Mrs. Dewey. And in her letter, Grace said that Ida Bolander could no longer visit Norma Jean because Ida Bolander supposedly greatly upset the child. And Mrs. Dewey wrote back to Grace and said, oh, she was just here. And you're right. She did upset her. So, you know, Grace really made sure that Norma Jean, whoever would visit her, it was only, you know, people who were going to make the child happy. And that included the Atkinsons, um, Harvey and Elsie Griffin, who at one point had wanted to adopt Norma Jean, but Gladys said no. Olive Monroe, who was Norma Jean's aunt, as well as Mrs. Martin, who was Norma Jean's aunt's mother. Um, But, you know, Grace... Grace really kept her word, and by October of 1936, when Norma Jean was 10, she had pulled uh, Norma Jean out of the orphanage to come live with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Nor- Marilyn really wanted to make out like her child was very Dick, childhood was very, you know, Dickinson that she, or Dickens, I should say, sorry. Um, she really wanted to make out that her childhood was very Dickens, that they were very poor. Um, Oliver, she, Oliver, what is it called? What was the name of that child? Oliver. Poor, yeah. Like, yeah, like the poor child and the poor waif who was begging for more porridge, please, whatever. Yeah, and we can see from Grace, because Grace kept very meticulous records because she wanted to be reimbursed for everything. But we can really see that, you know, Norma Jean had a pretty privileged childhood. At one point, Grace bought her a coat that was, you know, $11, which doesn't sound that big to us, but that's over a $100 coat for a 10-year-old. That's pretty nice, yeah. You know, and so... Grace did make sure that she had, you know, a pretty, I don't want to say blessed childhood, but that she had, you know, what she needed and she made sure to buy her, you know, quality items. Um, Norma Jean moved around a little bit. And then in 1938, Grace Grace places Norma Jean with Anna Lauer. Now, Anna Lauer would become kind of like a surrogate mother to Norma Jean or surrogate grandmother or combination of the two. Um, Anna was a devout Christian scientist, but she absolutely loved Norma Jean. And unfortunately, Anna became sick not within probably about two years of Norma Jean moving in with her. And Norma Jean had to move back in with Grace. Mm-hmm. And this would have been in, like, 1940. Um, she moves back in with the Goddards. There's there's a rumor that she was sexually abused by Doc, although I personally haven't, not that you can really find anything to support that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That I, I haven't found anything beyond a couple sources claiming that. I don't know if it happened, 
But if it did, she did continue to live with him. And then in 1942, Norma Jean finds out that Grace and Dot Goddard are going to have to move to West Virginia. Now, being Grace never officially adopted Norma Jean, she was just like her custodial guardian. She can't take Norma Jean with her. So, you know, Grace is sitting there, always the busybody that she was, and she's trying to come up with a plan for what to do. And she, you know, knows that Norma Jean has been kind of sporadically seeing the neighbor boy. His name's Jim Dowertree. And she starts talking to Jim's mom, and she goes, hey, what if they get married? So... You know, it's like a win-win. Norma Jean doesn't have to go back to the orphanage, and Jim will have a pretty wife. So Jim's mom comes and talks to him, and Jim pretty readily agrees. So only a couple weeks after Norma Jean's 16th birthday, she marries Jim Dowertree. They get married in the house of Mr. and Mrs. Chester Howe in front of their family and friends. And actually, Anna Lauer had made Norma Jean's dress, which she would hold on to for a number of years, actually, until she finally sent it to Bernice. And Bernice's daughter, Mona Ray, ended up wearing it to prom. Marilyn's wedding dress? Mm-hmm. Cool. They had it altered, and she wore Marilyn's wedding dress to prom. Um, there, there's a lot of debate over whether or not Norma Jean actually loved Jim or, you know, she, she claimed that it was kind of a marriage for convenience, but that she cared for Jim. Jim claimed that she really loved him. It's kind of up for, you know, I guess the listener to decide, you know, what was happening with that. But regardless, they would actually end up being married for four years. And then he went overseas, though, right? He, he did. Um, they first moved to Catalina, uh, probably in like September of 1943. Mm-hmm. And he was a merchant marine. So he was stationed out there as part of like their training program. And he did, you know, their physical exercise and stuff like that. Um, he would end up being shipped off uh on a ship called the Julia S. Dumont that was headed for Australia, and he would spend his time in the South Pacific. And Norma Jean started work at the radio plane factory. Um, She had moved back, obviously, to the mainland. Uh, The radio plane factory also had um, employed Ethel Dowertree, Jim's mom. And so that's how Norma Jean got that job. And, of course, this leads to Norma Jean being discovered um, by David Conover in the fall of 1944. And that's really how she starts to become famous. For photos, right? He wanted to take pictures of her. He did. He had been sent out by Commander Ronald Reagan um, to go get pictures of, you know, attractive girls who were working in, you know, factories in the Southern California area. Um, and the idea was that the pictures would run in Yanka Magazine and David saw Marilyn, and he was like, let's, let's do it. She's perfect. And, of course, that's really, you know, what makes Norma Jean famous. And that's when the wheels start turning. Like, yeah, I can be somebody. I want to be somebody. 
It did. I mean, she kept working at Radio Plane, though, for about six months after those photos were taken. Um, And like you said, the wheels are turning during those six months. And then on March 15th, 1945, Norma Jean finally takes the plunge and quits her job at Radio Plane. Reportedly, Ethel is extremely displeased about this. Um, but you know, Norma Jean's going to do the modeling thing. Um, she works with some amateur photographers throughout 1945 and, uh, and some professional ones too. We do have a couple releases that, you know, have still survived, but really she's, she's not with an agency or anything. And then in August of 1945, she signed with the Blue Book Modeling Agency, which was headed by Emmeline Snively. Um, Emmeline Snively is a very interesting person. I highly recommend, uh, there's a book called Before Marilyn, and it's about Marilyn's Blue Book modeling years. It's by Michelle Morgan. And it's really all about Emmeline Snively and, you know, her relationship with Marilyn, but it really focuses on Emmeline Snively's business. Um, Emmeline pretended to be British, but she actually was American. <laughs> and her, you know, idea was, hey, you know, I'm going to run this modeling agency and, you know, uh, People like British people more than they like American people. They trust British people more for this. I I don't know what went through Emily's head, but it was something along those lines. Uh, But, you know, it was a pretty successful modeling agency. They would also host Mamie Van Dorn and Jane Mansfield in the later 40s and, you know, 50s. And that was kind of their thing, I guess. Let's have famous blondes. Uh, but Norma Jean was not instantly made blonde. She obviously, you know, modeled with her natural hair for, you know, about the first year. And it was, what was her natural hair color, like a strawberry blonde or something. I, I would say her natural hair color is probably like auburn with some brown lowlights. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen her described as a California blonde, meaning her hair would lighten up in the summer, but her hair's still pretty dark when you see color photos. So I I wouldn't really say that she was a blonde, but maybe a brunette with like red undertones is probably the better way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, But 1945, Norma Jean meets Andre de Denae. He meets her, you know, through the blue book modeling agency And there are, according to Andre, they embark on this wonderful affair. We do know that she had a relationship with him for seven years, at least a professional relationship. Let me clarify that. But he claims that they had this, you know, great love affair. I don't know if I actually buy that, but, you know, that's what he wants to claim. And the reason I bring up Andre and really single him out is because he takes photos of her with a little lamb and that becomes her first magazine cover. It's her magazine called Family Circle and she's posing with this like, you know, really small little baby lamb. Who would think, you know, she her first one would be Family Circle, this va-va-va-voom girl. Uh, yeah. Did you, you ever see the photo? I'd love to see that picture. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to send it to you, the Family Circle, you know, catalog. It's really cute. You know, it's it's just totally not what you expect. 
Um, Norma Jean, you know, finds that she's actually an extremely popular model. Um, you know, people are kind of clamoring for her. She's obviously willing to pose in bikinis. You know, one photographer said she was fat. Can't figure out where she supposedly was fat because she had, you know, like a 24-inch waist. But no, she never looked fat to me. No, she, she didn't to me either, but one photographer claimed it. But uh, overall, you know, she she's in demand. Most, most people don't think she's fat. Um, so Norma Jean, you know, is quickly discovering that she's not really happy with Jim anymore. And so she moves to Vegas in July of 1946, and she files for divorce from Jim. Now, she goes out there in July, which means she has to be out there until September because you have to be there for, you know, two months. Mm -hmm. But then she receives word that she has um, a screen test with Fox. So... She leaves Las Vegas, you know, even though she's supposedly still living there. And she has her screen test with Fox, who quickly signs her to a contract. That would have been on um, July 31st of 1946. So she would have been 20 years old. Um, Grace co-signed her contract because Norma Jean was under 21, although that was completely unnecessary because Norma Jean was married. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she, she gets her contract and then they're sitting there in probably August or September and they think, oh, you know, we don't really care for the name Marilyn or we don't really care for the name Norma Jean. So they're, you know, sitting on it. And after about a month, Norma Jean has a meeting with Ben Lyon and Ben says, look, you know, we, we got to change your name. Now, Norma Jean hoped to have the name Jean Monroe, but Ben didn't really care for Jean, probably because there were quite a few Jeans. And so he suggests Marilyn after the famous actress, Marilyn Miller. And, you know, Norma Jean goes with it. So from this point forward, she is now known as Marilyn Monroe. Perfect name. Perfect name. It really is. It's just, it really fits her. Mm -hmm. Um, Shockingly, she would claim she never really liked the name Marilyn, but I think it's perfect for her. Um, So in September, yeah, in September, gosh, if I could talk. In September, she's granted her divorce from Jim. Uh, Jim had actually received his, you know, He had actually been served with his divorce papers while he was in the South Pacific, supposedly while he was shopping for little trinkets. I read that. Yeah. And then, you know, come to find out she wants to divorce him. But, you know, what can you really say about it, I guess? She was a kid, you know, she was only a child. She was just turned 16. How old was he? 20? Let's see. He was 21 when they got married because he was five years older than Norma mm-hmm. Jean. So at this point, she would have been 20 and he would have been 25. Yeah. Um, so Norma Jean, you know, she she's working for Fox 
but they're not really giving her a whole lot of parts. She actually spends a lot of her time learning how things work behind the camera, how to apply her makeup. She's taking fencing lessons. She's taking archery lessons. You know, that's more so what she's kind of focusing on because they're not really giving her anything Mm -hmm. she does have a brief role and scoot a who scoot a hey and by brief (laughs) i mean she says hi did you ever see it i i have you can see little natalie wood and june haver and then there's marilyn who goes like hi betty (laughs) scoot a hey scoot a who yeah it's it's the scooter who scooter hey for people who don't know is what they're calling out to a pair of mules in the movie. Oh, <laughs> it's not a good movie. It's just it's not a good movie. Um, Marilyn then goes on and she has a very small part in Dangerous Years, which was actually a film that was made by like GE. I, I don't know. It, these movies aren't good. Let's just leave it at that. Did she get cut from it, or did you actually see her in no, it? No, you can see her in it, but she's in it for maybe two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's supposed to be kind of like an advertising film. It, it, I don't know. It's just very odd. I can't really describe it. Isn't that horrible? But it's, it's well, not. Well, it doesn't a- sound memorable, and I've never heard of it. And I'm sure a lot of people, unless they're Marilyn Monroe um, aficionados, they know of it, but. And I love Marilyn, but I just, you know, I don't know all this other stuff, so. Yeah, no, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's not a good movie. Um, Fox, you know, kind of is sitting there and they're like, we don't really have anything for this girl, so we're going to drop her. So on August 25th, 1947, a year after she had signed her contract, she was officially dropped by Fox. So Marilyn you know, goes out and for starters, she meets up with um, Lucille Ryman and John Carroll. John Carroll was obviously a famous actor and Lucille Ryman was head of casting for MGM. They agree to let her live. Let me back up really quick. Ryman and Carroll own a bunch of apartments around Los Angeles and they agree for Norma Jean slash Marilyn to move into one of their apartments and in exchange they get 10% of anything she earns. So, you know, they're also like kind of agents. It's, it's a really weird agreement, but the, But Lucille and John Carroll did that for a bunch of starlets in the 40s who were in the Los Angeles area. But I I don't know. It's just it's very odd. Um, Lucille would not have favorable memories of Marilyn when she, you know, after she was done with her. Wasn't Um, Marilyn actually living with them at some point? She yeah, she supposedly had a man break into her apartment. She was scared and <laughs> Carol and Ryman mm. said that she could live in their guest house on their property. It, it was just a very odd situation. Um Lucille would recall that Marilyn was trying to sleep with John and wanted John to divorce Lucille and she went to Lucille and said John's going to leave you for me and Lucille's basically like laughing in her face. She said, yeah, John doesn't love you. He loves me and he's going to divorce you. Ingrate, Marilyn. I got to say this. Ingrate. Yeah, no. 
uh, I wouldn't be surprised if John was sleeping with a few of the girls that they had, but there's no way he was going to lose Lucille. Lucille had a very good job with MGM. And of course it was constant. She didn't have to rely on film work or anything. I mean, she's head of casting, but regardless, that really hasn't happened yet at this point in 1947. Um, But Marilyn actually takes kind of an interesting turn. She starts performing at the Bliss Hayden Theater, which, of course, we have talked about in the Carol Landis episode. Yes. And, you know, apparently, according to um, one of the owners of the Bliss Hayden, they didn't really see anything in Marilyn. They didn't think she was going to make it. They were, of course, wrong. But uh, she, you know, she is going to sit there and perform on stage plays. And she apparently did a, you know, okay job. I think they just, whoever had done the interview described her as kind of average. Mm -hmm. But of course, Marilyn still wants, you know, a stay, a film contract. So. She goes in in March of 1948, and she is actually signed by Columbia Pictures. Now, she's they agree to pay her $125 a week. And this is where she meets two people who are very influential on her life. The first is her eventual acting coach, Natasha Latesse. And the second is Fred Carger, who Marilyn would describe as like the love of her life. Um, Fred was eventually married. Oh gosh, Grace, I can't think of her name. It's Ronald Reagan's first wife, Jane Wyman. Um, Oh, I read a good story about that and goddess. We'll talk about that later. It was good. Yeah. That's eventually who he would, you know, be married to. But for right now, you know, he's sitting there and he's going with Marilyn. Was he, Uh, um, what did he do? He was like Columbia's musical director oh. or something like that. He did he did something with music. I know he helped her with her singing and stuff like that. She fell in love with him. He kind of looks at her as like, hey, this is some chick I can mess around with, but he's not taking it seriously. Uh-huh. Um, she took it extremely seriously, uh, but, you know, they, they would break up eventually. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may be grand, but won't pay the rental on your humble flat, or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. Square cut or pear shape These rocks don't lose their shape Diamonds are a girl's best friend 